Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary. We are an angel podcast. Uh, I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we are continuing our journey through season five of Angel, and we are talking about a hole in the world and shells. Uh, Mm -hmm. But before we do that, how are you today, Allie? (laughs) I'm good. I, um... You know, the sun is shining, which, mm-hmm. like, not to be boring and talk about the weather, it just, like, was a little rainy this week, so I'm, I have, like, really big plans to, like, go on a long walk later, mm-hmm. and I'm going to finish off a baking project that don't, hasn't really been that successful so far, so I'm, like, <laughs> kind of just finishing it out of obligation. <laughs> um, I had some, I had a frustrating moment yesterday, I I put a pie crust in the oven to blind bake, and I took it out, and it was, like, burned black. Oh, no. I was like, well, there's no salvaging this. No. And that's, and all I could think was, I was like, that is a whole stick of butter that I just threw away. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I, I need like, to get butter. I think it's on my grocery And normally, story. like, you know, normally I would be like, okay, well, there's more where that came from. But now, you know, getting more is just, like, yeah, such a thing. And it's I was loaded. Like, but I did have a 12-pound bag of flour arrive, mm. so... Um, the little fraction of flour that I wasted, I didn't feel as bad about it. I was like, right, that's, that's good insurance. So I think what I need to do is like find my friends who have a Costco membership yeah, and just have them, you know, supply me with butter. Yeah. And that, that might help a lot. I mean, I don't know where I'll put the butter, but it'll, Somewhere. I'll feel less bad about things like yeah. that. But I was just like, so... So upset. <laughs> so today I like, you know, I like remade a crust and I finished off the the pie, but like I've got to finish it today and I'm just like so over it already. Mm. <laughs> so mad at it. <laughs> like, how dare you? You know, um, I have a baking opinion question for you. <laughs> Speaking of, um, are butterscotch chips always terrible or did I just get the, like, is Nestle the lowest rung and they're bad? I'm going to say if you're talking about chips of any kind, Nestle probably is the lowest rung, but I but when, also am not a huge butterscotch co- fan. So I so I made this uh, cookie recipe. It's from the Baked Cookbook, and it's peanut butter cookies, but it has butterscotch chips in them. And I, I, I don't think I've ever had butterscotch chips. And I realized much later that the flavor I was imagining them to taste like was probably peanut butter chips. But actually eating the butterscotch chips, they're awful. I hate them. And I didn't really, I already mixed them in the dough. Like, it's too late. I mean, maybe, I actually have some unbaked dough, so maybe I'll pick them out and replace them with chocolate chips, which I think would be much better in a peanut butter cookie anyway. Like, why wasn't that just the recipe? But I just, I was like, oh, are these really bad? Or are, do I not like butterscotch chips? <laughs> butterscotch is such a dicey flavor. Like, I I guess I should have, I should have anticipated this. It was just one of those times when, like, a few... I must have been like a month ago when I was making a grocery list and I was trying to figure out like what are, I didn't know what was going to be available at the store. So I tried to look up a, a couple of different recipes that were new for me to like try and be like, okay, well, if they don't have this then I'll grab this or like, these are just, so that was like one of those. Anyway, all I'm saying is that I think butterscotch chips are delicious, are terrible. <laughs> and I regret putting them in my cookie dough. The cookie dough is actually, is delicious though. The cookies themselves are good. So the baked cookies with the butterscotch are okay. No, I'm sorry. Oh. The cookie is good. The butterscotch <laughs> chips are still bad, even in the baked ones. <laughs> so here's my question. What is the flavor that butterscotch is supposed to be? The one really great butterscotch that I've had in my life. Well, I like butterscotch hard candies. So like, I like that flavor in a candy. I think that I was anticipating the chip to somehow be more subdued than that. And butterscotch flavor, anything, is never more subdued. So like, why did I expect that? But a flower bakery... 
I don't know if they still make it, but when I worked there, they made butterscotch pudding. And what, I only got to try it once, and it was like the most magical thing I've ever tasted in my life. And I've always wanted to try making it, but I'm too afraid I'll ruin it and like I'll ruin the memory. <laughs> but it was so good. It was just like, it was just like a light, I don't know, caramelized type flavor. Like it was really subtle and it was so good. And I was like, oh, everyone hates butterscotch, but like this is what it's supposed to taste like. Anyway. So- you know what you might try instead then is caramelizing white chocolate and then chopping that up and putting it in because it's kind of like caramelized hmm. butter fat, which I think is I think literally buttery the caramel. Is that is that what butterscotch is? Is like buttery caramel? Like I I think I've had butterscotch candies, but I I don't think I've ever had either butterscotch pudding or butterscotch chips. Well, I just Googled what is butterscotch and the top hit is a Bon Appetit article entitled, what is butterscotch? Caramel's low key cousin question mark. So yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I just, frankly, the, cookie, the peanut butter cookie dough is fine on its own. It doesn't need anything, but if it needed anything, I think any other chip would be better. I think peanut butter chips would be better. I think chocolate chips would be better. And I think white chocolate chips would all be fine. It's just like, it just has this, it's just, it tastes like a butterscotch candy that you put in a cookie and it's like, it's too much. Like a hard candy is the only time that that much concentrated flavor is like acceptable. <laughs> and even then, you know, like be careful. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really surprised that, that they have a recipe that, that calls for that. So me too. I'm disappointed to say the least. Yeah. But I do think, so I only baked off, I didn't even bake off half the dough yet. So I think that I'll, I think I'm just going to pick them out and replace them with something else or just that pick them out. That does not sound like a fun project, but you go have fun. <laughs> it's not that many in there. Well, how many did you put in the dough? I don't know. It only called for like five ounces. It's not that much. Okay. It's not even a whole bag, you know? Then why even put them in there? I'm like, this is, hmm, this is a weird recipe. It is. Anyway. Yeah. I think I'm, having not tried them, I'm. I think I'm agreeing with you that they were unnecessary. They were totally unnecessary. Or also maybe maybe, there's a better butterscotch chip out there. It's true. I was just going to say maybe, you know, Nestle isn't the baseline to measure butterscotch flavored chips because Mm -hmm. I guarantee they're not butterscotch chips. They probably just dyed white chocolate chips and flavored them with butterscotch flavor. Yeah, I think you're right. That is what it it tastes very artificial flavoring, very artificial extract type flavor, you know. Also, I've really come, like, come down against, I think, chocolate chips in a bag. Like, Mm. once you try, like, chopped chocolate and all, it just, it's so much better. And it's like, Hmm. the chips really annoy me because they get so hard because they have the stabilizers in them. And so you're just like, why is my chocolate so, so brittle? Hmm. I mean, that said, I love eating chocolate chips, like, out of the bag. Yeah. I just don't enjoy baking with them, I don't think. I don't always want that chopping chocolate is so it's so messy. I don't always want that much like dust in whatever in a cookie. Yeah. Well, that's so why sort I started weird... buying the, the discs because mm. then you just don't chop them. And then some of them might break up when you mix them in. But then you just get these giant pieces of chocolate. Mm. It's totally what you're going for, though. You know, like it, I mean, it, it totally depends. Like, right. do you want the little nuggets? Do you want melty pools do you, you know there's such a range this is why no one has ever found the perfect chocolate chip cookie and no one ever will and i won't be convinced of that 
well, that's crazy because the Martha Stewart one is obviously perfect. <laughs> you were completely <laughs> wrong about this. <laughs> Not I the really one don't in the think baking. that that's a, I don't think that that's the best chocolate chip cookie I've ever had. It is my favorite without a question. Yep. Hmm. Well, we're not going to fight about it now. No. So uh, let's talk about Angel. Okay. Um, all right. So why don't you break down this truly depressing episode for us? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way, you know, as always, it's like, this is a pretty straightforward story. Uh, Wesley and Fred have, you know, reunited in the last episode. So now they're all over each other. They're like so happy to finally be together, blah, 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 which of course means something terrible is going to happen. Um So a weird sarcophagus gets delivered to Fred's lab and she and Knox start investigating it and, you know, pretty much don't know at all where it came from or know anything about it. So Knox goes off to grab something that they need before they start investigating. And Fred is just maybe mystically or mysteriously drawn to the sarcophagus. She touches something on it, which opens and puffs like dust in her face and then she breathes it in. So she's obviously worried that, like, maybe she breathed in mummy dust or who knows what, but she goes to the, you know, angel, I'm sorry, the Wolfman Heart Doctor, and she gets kind of a clean bill of health. But as she and Wesley are about to, well, she's about to go to lunch, she starts hacking up blood, and clearly something is still wrong. So, I mean, I, they, everybody, the whole... The whole company gets in on this investigation, trying to figure out what where the sarcophagus came from, what anything about it means, and they figure out that it is it was the it is like dedicated to this old time demon called Illyria, like from the old world, very before like any of this was ever around, and that in the meantime, Fred's body is being completely decimated so that this demon can come forth through her uh so yeah i mean fred is fred is dying in this whole episode they uh wesley takes her back to her apartment and they have all kinds of emotional sad scenes where she's just desperately trying to grasp onto what's left of her life uh and angel and spike go off to england to try and find a solution why it's in england whatever it doesn't matter uh and they it turns out that they can't save her because doing so is going to kill thousands or even you know tens of thousands of people along the way and maybe even exacerbate the problem of the demon so they let her die and she dies in wesley's arms and then immediately uh, this blue-haired demon enters her body and takes her place where to start um yeah i mean i think my kind of preface to both of these episodes really i I thought this was a good episode. I obviously have a lot of hangups about the story arc <laughs> and where we've come around. So it's it's weird because I can't say that I hated the episode. I, I was really emotional in the episode and I have a lot of comments on, you know, why I think that was, but like it was heart-wrenching. It was awful. I was tearing up. You know, the whole thing with Fred was very, very sad. Um, so... I did think that the episode itself was like, the pacing was good, the acting was good. Like, I thought if we were only watching this one episode, I would have liked it. I obviously hate this greater story for the sort of implications of why this show has to get rid of every female character. (laughs) And and so it's like, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to marry those two thoughts. 
but I think I would summarize it by saying, I like this episode. I hate this storyline. Yes, I agree. I would say like it was a good episode and I would note written and directed by Joss Whedon. Mm. I think you can tell his touches on this in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of them good. Not all of them good, exactly, <laughs> yeah. but it had its moments For of, sure. like, charm where I was watching it and I was like, this is, I hate where this is going, but the way we got there is a good episode of television. I mean, even the first scene where Fred and Wesley are fighting this nest of demon eggs or mm-hmm. something, and An obvious it's really aliens cheesy, reference. like, you know, in the middle of this, Wesley's like, oh, are you trying to turn me on? And it's like, ugh, but in that moment, it's also, like, this little nugget of greatness where... Fred, like, leans in to kiss him, and the look on Wesley's face is, like, he can't believe that she's about to kiss him. Yeah. Like, and that's so amazing, but also so horrifying because, like, that's the twist of the knife, right? right. Like, For sure. Uh, here's, of course. Here's what you've been waiting for. Here's these two people have finally gotten it together. Like, next scene, Fred's dead. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's annoying that that happens that way, and... And I found my, as soon as I saw the written and directed by Joss Whedon, I kind of was like, oh, on the one hand, I'm not surprised. Like, this is a huge character shift for Mm -hmm. the show. I would imagine he wants to kind of oversee that. On the other hand, I was like, oh, this has him written all over this. Like, he thinks this is a cool story, but it's it's Cordelia. Yeah, he. I think he truly thinks this is an amazing dramatic twist of fate. It's I think like, so too. Yeah, you have your powerful female character taken tragically away from the man, and what's what's he gonna do to get over that? And yeah. it's like it's not about her. Even though I do think, unlike Cordelia's right. arc last season, the, these two episodes are a bit of a tribute to the character. For sure, Fred. for and, sure, and and that is a little bit makes it a little bit better. But yeah, it's clear that they're not punishing uh, Amy Acker <laughs> the way right, that they were punishing right, Charisma Carpenter with, like, a and terrible story. it's clear story. that they presented this to her as, like, a great opportunity. A cool and, yeah. like, but it's all in service of, like, now the men have to figure out I know, their relationships. I know. And, like, when we see in the next episode, like, the fallout from all of this, and it's just all very frustrating because, like, after what happened with Cordelia, who also had her body turn into a vessel to For bring a demon. forth a demon, it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, one, we've already been here before. Yeah. And two, you seem to think this is a good idea. And, and, and three, like, you don't realize how overplayed this is even on your own show and that it's not actually this, like brave, amazing, creative choice. Right. It's actually it's like really a, a huge disservice to the women. And and the fact that you had a hugely successful show about one female character does not give you a pass. For sure. <laughs> For sure. So I, I said that. Well, and, and, and along those same lines, I don't understand. I, other th- I do understand why it was written the way that it was. But coming from the outsider's perspective, you know, with a more objective eye, we don't always need to be ruining every great love like they don't all need to have a tragic twist but if they do and this we needed this to happen because we thought it was better that fred and wesley not ever truly get to be together like this could have been wesley (laughs) you know what i mean like it could have been gun it could have been anybody it could have been you know it could have been angel because it's like the mechanics probably don't work but i i just there was that scene where fred was in the hospital and she was like oh all my guys are here and i was like there are six guys in the room and one female and that's actually pretty much accurate to the ratio of men to women in the left in this show. And I was like, and, and then you're going to ruin. And, then, yeah, and she's the one that's 
in a bad space and is about to die. I was like, it didn't have to be that way. It literally could have been. I, I understand that Wesley losing Wesley wouldn't have been the same punch in the gut to all the other characters, but like too bad, write a different story then. Like, yeah, yes. Tragic women deaths don't have to be the only way to motivate your male characters. And it's such, it's a, a sad, obvious trope that you're leaning into. So, and you could almost hear the show protesting too much where I'm not a damsel Sweden, in where he distress. literally has Fred say, yep. I'm not the damsel in distress. Was, I don't need to be saved. And it's yet like, this entire arc is built around trying to save her because she is the damsel. She is quite literally the damsel in distress because she is the only damsel left. Yes, yes. And they put her in distress in a way that she literally couldn't save herself. There was no other option. There was no way out for her. So, yes, all of that is very frustrating. I think I also want to push back on this notion, this other knee-jerk reaction that Joss Whedon has of thinking that every romance has to end in tragedy. You know, it's like, it did already happen. It's already happened several times in Buffy. It's already happened on Angel. So like, I don't know, find a new well, you know? <laughs> it is painful. It is a twist in the knife. And it did, it did make me more emotional. But that doesn't mean that it is the only way you could have told this story, you know? Fred and Wesley no, could have had so, several episodes together. It's almost together. very lazy in a way. It is, I, yeah. I was thinking about what you said last time about, or maybe a couple episodes ago, I don't remember, but you mentioned that concept of like the girl in the refrigerator. Right? Oh yeah. And this is that, but it's, it's not even for a male character. It's for the whole show in a way, and, which is like, which is only male characters though. Other than Which is only male characters. Yes. And I, but I don't think it makes it better because I was thinking about this, yeah. like they use this as a catalyst, like Angel has been doubting for episodes now, mm-hmm. like, you know, his path and whether he, you know, is still fighting the good fight and on the side of good. And and even in, you know, this episode, Giles is also questioning that. And, you know, we see everyone assuming that they've all lost their way. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems like this is the thing that is supposed to convince them that they did lose their way, that this wasn't the right choice, that mm-hmm. if they had never done this, then Fred would have never been turned into a demon. And it's like, is it necessary for Fred's death to be the thing that right. makes them come to this final conclusion. Right. Like, why I wasn't just it feel Cordelia's like there's so death? many ways they could get there. <laughs> also, other than you that. already killed your other character, and if we had ever allowed the characters to grieve about Cordelia, this could have been that. We didn't have to kill both of them in the span of two or three episodes. Well, didn't Cordelia even, just die? Couldn't that have been the final nail in the coffin? She was the one who gave Angel this heartfelt speech about how he is still good. So, like, why wasn't that just leave it at that? Have him, you know, meditate on that more. Well, and in these two episodes, we hear Angel protesting that he can't let this happen to Fred because he already lost Cordelia. Right, it's yeah. like, like great. but none of you have like had even mentioned that. So right. How, is it where supposed was all, to matter? Yeah. Like where was all this reaction when they found out that she died two days ago or, you know, two weeks ago, however long it's been. Yeah. So I, I want to say, I agree with you from what you said about this being a good episode, right. but I wanted to lay out all of this off no, the top totally. because I do think it takes away from this episode quite a bit. It really does. What could be a strong twist or strong arc, I think is undercut by the fact that the show has already done it before. It's a troubling pattern with their female characters. Yes, because let's also not forget Darla. So there's right. at least three women in its wake. Yes, I, the and literal only they've all died to give birth to a demon. So yes. <laughs> the literal only female left is Harmony, who is a side character that they underuse. <laughs> yeah, and Eve. Ugh, but, Eve, right, whatever. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I agree. It's just a troubling pattern. So like, anything good that we say about it, I don't, yeah, I agree. It doesn't excuse 
all the obvious flaws in, in the whole show, frankly, but especially in this particular storyline. Okay, but I want to bring up oh, I have- the one character who I think really benefited from this episode. Mm. I think, is, is this Lauren's best episode oh ever? Oh my god. Okay, yes. This is, I, we're on the same page, because I have a whole thing written about that. Yes. Uh, what I wrote, basically, is that everything Lauren does is great, and he should always be around. I, I loved him in this episode. It's, he's just so criminally underused in this whole show. I, I don't understand why they couldn't figure out more to do with him. But yes, like him giving him his moment to like break bad for a little bit was so satisfying. Yes, there's that. And also the fact that he's doing it because Fred unprompted yes. was nice to him in a way that no one else, no humans probably ever have been. Yeah. Um, but also that they, I also felt like this was the best use of Lorne and his powers totally. that I think the show has ever done. Totally. Like that split moment where he's like, oh, you guys like go get a room, whatever. And he starts singing and, and just Fred just sings that little thing. And he, the way he turns around in that whole moment, I yeah. love that scene so much. Yeah. Like I think actually sometimes just like that scene just like pops into my head Ugh. sometimes. Like <laughs> I just think it is really well done. And just the moment of like his almost sweet cheesiness that like, and the horror mm-hmm. and like, she spits the blood into Wesley's face, but like just that Lauren in a split second before anyone else realizes something is wrong, mm-hmm. knows something awful is about to happen. And he like turns around. I'm like, that is the best explanation and use of Lauren on the show and why he's around that they've ever come up with. Yeah. Cause in a split second, it, it like shows his value of like, Oh, this is his power. Like he does pick up on things that other people don't. And like, he's just there as part of the everyday mechanics of this. And then like stuff, it, it makes sense in a way that, like, sometimes the show, you know, forgets about him yeah. or uses him in really weird ways that are, you know, like, unfair to the character, like, babysitter or whatever. Right, right. And, like, so to see that, I felt was, like, it was a nice moment. Yes. No, I totally agree. Um, I, no, I, lo- I loved learning this, and it just made me miss how, miss him all the times that he's not there. I just, I really think they could do more with him than occasional comedic relief. And even his story about how Fred told him this really sweet thing one time is like another good reminder of like how deep his emotions are. Emotions is not the right word, but it's like, he really is struggling and suffering a lot in ways that he never lets on. And like, they did sort of make that episode about it, but I, I don't feel like that episode really got to the crux of like, what makes Lauren tick in, in as much as like this story did, you know, like he tells the story and it's just like, Oh, you were, it it just reminds you that it's like, he wants so many things that he'll never be able to have because of the way he looks. And he also constantly feels bad about himself for the way that he looks, which is obviously something that he can't fix or control. And like having somebody tell him this really nice thing about it, it like meant so much to him. I don't know. I just, I, I think his acting was really on point in the whole episode. And I think that story was like a really short, but deep, uh, look into him and like, yeah, I agree with you about this, the way, like getting to see his abilities come into play again was this very like quick shorthand reminder of like what, yeah, who he is and and what, what he's doing. Ugh, Lauren. Yeah. But yes, also him and his total willingness to butcher Eve was like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a good, like, it's a good twist when, I was like, why wouldn't you let him let him do it? Yeah. Like, just <laughs> what's what's her purpose anymore? Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah, but I, I, I had a couple questions um, come up also. Maybe now it's not... Do, are we not ready to talk about the plot holes? Yeah, let's... I, I want to keep going on uh, because I think part of why Lauren's... I think okay. why this episode worked so well was because... I'm sorry. One of the things that I think made this episode good was that the actors were served by the lines. Like the people who had to do the brunt of the dramatic acting in this episode weren't David Boreanaz and weren't, sorry to say, Charisma Carpenter and some of these other, like it wasn't Gunn. You know, it was Fred and Wesley and Lorne, who I think all have better uh, skills in that arena. So I do, I definitely, yeah, well, and if anything, like much of Angel and Spike's storyline, not that James Marsters can't also carry the dramatic, but they were kind of the relegated to the comic relief in this episode, whereas the other people were doing the heavy drama. And I think that that was one of the reasons why as an episode, this flowed together really well. Like it was, it would be impossible not to get wrapped up in the Fred and Wesley tragedy because they're acting their hearts out and it was sad as hell, right? Like that was really upsetting and very, very sad to watch the way that she just disintegrated and he's doing nothing because there's nothing he can do. And they're just like stuck in this tragedy. I just, if that were not Alexis Denisoff and well, really, if it were not Alexis Denisov, I don't think it would have worked, right? But I just think that was one of the things that clicked about this episode was like kind of playing to the actor's strengths. Angel is totally Angel is funny. He's not great at the drama because he really can only brood. And that's like not a range. <laughs> so I think that was what I liked about this as well, for the most part. Yeah. And I mean, like both he and um, Amy Acker are saddled with some pretty cheesy lines mm-hmm. in the course of this, which they managed to hold together right. I think um like Wesley saying like you know she asks him like do you think you could have loved me and like yeah. clearly she has no idea like right. Wesley has been in love with her forever yeah. but then Wesley ter- deciding to say like oh I think I loved you before I met you yeah. like no come on yeah. let's just stay away from that but like but does but, he carry but it they, yeah they carried it like it came together okay but yeah I totally agree like the two of them being tasked with this dramatic scene and carrying it off. I mean, they're the only two on the show that I think could really, truly nail it in this yeah, way. And I also, agree. side note, how badly do you now want to go watch Much Ado About Nothing? Like, <laughs> I do. I'm like, oh, I forgot. Like, oh, these two the together two are, like, hmm. absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know if I really want to give Joss Whedon my money right, right. now, though. Because <laughs> I'm pretty I'm, mad, like, mad about at the rest him. of it. <laughs> so, like, maybe if I can find it for free. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, no, they're absolutely fantastic together. And, you know, it it is this really awful moment where Wesley is trying to even just ease her pain. Yeah, and he, can't and he just can't do anything. What's happening to yeah. Her. Um, I thought she was so good in it too, though. I know I gave credit mostly to Alexis, but she, I, sorry, I can't, I keep in and out remembering the actors' names versus the character names, but I just, you know, like Fred being so sad to leave, I think she really hit that tone correctly too. You know, that like it wasn't not being ready to die. Yeah, She's not yeah. done. Yeah. But and I think, you know, it helps that we saw some of the flashbacks. Yeah, of for sure. Her leaving for LA and, you know, her parents being really worried about her. And we know that in some ways they were right. Like she did quite literally go to hell. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she came out of it and we see her being this like total badass superhero. But then, you know, she's admitting that she has not done everything that she wants to do. She is not ready to die and she doesn't understand why this has to be the thing that happened to her and why she's the one who had, had to have it happen. And yeah, I, I mean the, and the, the behind the scenes, like 
events that put this all in motion we'll talk about yeah. for the next episode. Yeah, I did leave really, out some details. Really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, but, but before anybody knows that that's happening, it's, it is really tragic that this happened to Fred. And, you know, as they say, like, Angel says, like, I don't, I'm going to say it. And they're like, you don't have to say it. But it's like, for Fred, they would do yeah. everything. And, and Wesley, I mean... What, what a moment, right? Wesley shooting that guy yeah. because he's not focused on yes. <laughs> I mean, I love evil, bad Wesley. Not evil, but I love bad Wesley. I mean, I love bad Giles, so I guess that's just like the thing that I love is bad watchers or, you know, but no, I agree. That was a great twi- touch. Not twist. It's not twist. <laughs> like, you knew you would uh, do it. But like anyone who's not working on Miss Burkle's case. <laughs> um, well, and speaking of kind of fun actor choices... I have to admit that, first of all, obviously this would have existed no matter what, but this episode must have been the episode that launched a thousand slash fix of Angel and Spike. Because they just because go holding hands. off and have, they hold hands, they reminisce, they are at each other's throat in a very like Sam and Diane styled way, like this entire episode, right? Like it opens and they're having this argument about astronauts versus cavemen which is like it was that was a funny joke i liked it and i like the way that they it was like a little thread throughout the whole episode i thought that was great but like i them, love how wesley also like is like this is what you guys have been arguing about in here for 40 yeah. minutes and he's so exasperated and he like takes a moment he's like well do the astronauts have weapons <laughs> yeah and then like fred is just commenting on it down the road later you know unprompted um i i thought that was a really fun touch but yes them at each other's throat in this complete romantic tension way and then they go have to they go to try and find you know whatever how to defeat Illyria they have to go to England because of you know whatever reasons <laughs> and then then these like you know knights start attacking them and he's like remember Prague or wherever and they like St. Petersburg pull, thank you I was it was a p word they pull out their chain and behead the guys together I was like that is such like, even my heart was kind of fluttering about it. Like, I didn't think I cared about them together, but, like, they should probably just be together, right? Especially After all when they're this, like, oh, I thought you forgot. I or know, something. it was like, so that romantic. Moment, I was like, he's like, hold my hand. He's like, what? And he's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, they pull, I think it's like a piano wire yeah, or something. Yeah, or chain. Like, it was something. It's like something, but, like... I was like, yeah, that was a little romantic. It was so romantic. <laughs> and, like, I mean, they shouldn't be queerbaiting people. I don't feel like... I don't know what they were trying to get at. I guess what I'm saying is that it awakened something in me. <laughs> I didn't know it was there. And this must have been the, the launch of a lot of that in the fandoms, specifically this episode. And what I'm getting at, and I sort of already said, is that I really liked that. I, I would watch them banter and then team up all day long. They do have this great shared history, right? Like they, maybe they belong together. I think they do. Maybe. I, I mean, they also have other. good chemistry. They do. I think, um, James Marsters has chemistry with everyone. He does, but I also think that's very helpful for someone like David Boreanaz, right. who doesn't all, he needs he a needs stronger somebody. scene partner yeah, to play does. off of. And I think that goes really well. And also you could also take this a step further and argue that Angel brought Spike to meet an ex. Like, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. this, all the rules about how they had to interact with Drogon and like his whole thing and Spike's like pure impatience with the whole thing. Yes. You know, but I, are we supposed to have met this guy before? I know. They really acted like we should have. I don't think so. You know what? I have the wiki yeah. pulled up, so I can try to double check. But either I forgot or that's just like a weird assumption of the show. Cause it's like, they introduce him like, oh, it's you. And it's like, yeah. Who? Okay. I don't think yeah. we've ever seen him before. I don't remember him. Anyway. So I think in, yes, 
just in conclusion, I thought the character work was very good in this episode. The dialogue was pretty good, other than obviously a few stinkers that the characters managed to save. Like, this was, yes, I liked I liked all that. And even also, I just want to shout out to the good Christmas land reference when Angel and um, oh. <laughs> Spike show up to this like forest of trees and Angel's like, where does that go? And Spike says Christmas land. Like, of course, Spike has seen Nightmare before Christmas and Angel hasn't. Like, that's a good pull. Yeah, that's a great moment where he's just like, don't you ever have fun? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that said, I, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and I... Not to linger on the plot. No, well, that's funny. But since we'll it hinged on a major whole... character death, mm-hmm. I feel like it's warranted. But this idea that they couldn't save Fred because, in order to get back to this cache of coffins that they find, mm-hmm. basically, like that, her this demon essence would have to like claw its way through hundreds of thousands of people and kill them in the process of getting back to where it belonged. I didn't really understand that as the rationale for why they couldn't save Fred because then why wouldn't that also kill Fred? So, like, they're taking the demon out of Fred and the demon has to pass through all these other people. But if taking the demon out of Fred doesn't kill Fred, then surely taking the demon out of all these other people shouldn't also kill them? Yeah, that's a good point. I also... And and the whole whole resolution of this hinges on that reasoning. So the fact that it didn't make a lot of sense really kind of irked me because it was like you have Angel decide that he's not going to save her based on a rationale that to me is inherently flawed that <laughs> Fred also shouldn't be able to be saved yeah. at all. Yeah. So it's like making this decision fall on Angel's shoulders when really it might just be better if like there is nothing you can do. This just happened. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also feel like with the way that the Dr- Drogon explained what would happen he also sort of made it seem like it's not just that thousands or hundreds of thousands, they also kept flitting back on saying thousands and then like a bigger number. And I was like, okay, but like 2000 people versus like 300,000 is like a pretty big gap, but whatever. Um, I felt like he was sort of implying that it would unleash Illyria more for her being in more people. And I think that is a much better rationale, right? It's not that it would kill all those people. It's that then she would have her footing already in the world, right? In a really sizable population. I feel like maybe, maybe I just heard what I wanted to hear for some reason. And that was just like kind of what I thought he was describing. But at first when they were talking about it, I thought it was more of like, that's going to make the problem worse than it's a numbers game. And like one life isn't worth, you know, 10,000 or whatever that number is that they kind of kept changing. So I agree. I guess all I'm saying is that I agree that like the first of all, yes, the very basic logic doesn't make sense. But also I feel like kind of the story didn't, I felt like they sort of said more than one thing. And it's like, okay, but what, totally. what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause it was just like plot, plot, plot. And if we're going to just like, regurgitate plots from Buffy and earlier episodes of Angel, why not? All, yeah. I think if we really wanted to sell this as a tragedy, which it was, I like, the tragedy of uh, arriving a few moments too late. <laughs> you know, why, why not just make that the explanation? Didn't have to be yeah. Angel hemming and hawing and weighing somebody's life versus someone else's just to sow tension later. I, I think that was lazy too. Yeah. Plus, not to get, maybe we can get into it a little bit more in the next episode, mm-hmm. but there's also this idea that Wolferman Hart is not involved in this. Like, it's a few right. people acting on this and that 
the senior partners don't know, can't help, this is something older, then why, you know, why, why is any of this involved? You know, like, I just, like, I think I really don't think this fits together very neatly. Well, and it kind of like with Jasmine, it's like when you start introducing these things that aren't part of the kind of established mythology, yeah, you open yourself up to a lot of questions and then it kind of maybe doesn't make sense. Yeah. I agree. But in the end, Fred is dead Mm -hmm. and she's in a shell, which brings us to shells. Yes. Great segue. Are we ready to move on? Yes. Okay. I think, I mean, honestly, we probably could have talked about these two as just one long continuing episode. Um, So I'll keep it pretty brief. Basically, this episode is the aftermath of what happened in A Hole in the World where Fred is now Illyria quite completely. Fred is gone. Um, As she says, she's in a shell um, in this human host. And everyone's trying to deal with that. You know, um, Wesley comes back to Wolfram and Hart, tells everybody Fred's dead and you know there's it's just Illyria now and Illyria is off trying to pick up where she left off gather her armies find her temple everything that you know a demon warrior goddess would need and turns out that Knox is behind a lot of this Mm -hmm. that he has been worshiping her since he was 11 he engineered getting the sarcophagus back to Los Angeles which coincidentally is where her temple is because Mm -hmm. the continents have moved over the millennia that I actually thought was a nice touch um for rationale yeah but Knox has the sarcophagus delivered to the lab so and he has chosen Fred as the perfect host for this goddess because she's perfect and this all comes out over the course of the episode. Um, well, Gunn had already kind of realized it in the last episode, but it turns out that Gunn is the one who got the sarcophagus through customs, mm-hmm. which was the final holdup. And the way he did that was, you know, by signing a pa- the paper away so that the doctor would reimplant all his legal knowledge mm-hmm. in his head. And so everyone figures this out as well. Wesley stabs Gunn. Angel fires him. There's a lot of fallout from that. And everyone realizes, okay, Fred's soul is gone. Like, it burned up in Illyria's resurrection, and Fred cannot be saved. Because the whole time, Angel and Spike and everyone are reminding everyone else, basically, hey, guys, like, the rules don't apply to us. Like, I've come back from the dead. I've come back from the dead. Buffy's come back from the dead. Like, surely we can find a way to resurrect Fred. Turns out they can. Mm -hmm. So the episode puts the final nail in that coffin of Fred is well and truly gone and we're dealing with the aftermath. Um, I'm going to say I did not like this episode as much um, because I think it hinged so much on things that I hate about this show. Mm. I, okay. I'm interested to hear about that because there were only a few moments that really jumped out at me that bothered... Well, it just certainly I didn't like it as much as the last one, but I, I, I do feel like they really go together so much that it's kind of hard to split them up for me. But, uh, yeah. What do you... What do you, what did, what are those things that you're referring to? Well, so the, a huge part of this episode is how Gunn is trying to keep this secret that he's the one who got the sarcophagus yeah. through Ugh, customs you're, you're and right. <laughs> goes to a lot of lengths to try to keep this from getting out. You know, he goes and threatens the doctor and he's trying to torture Knox by himself and doesn't want anybody to help with this. And of course it comes out. Wesley finds out that, you know, why Gunn is going after the doctor Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And 
instead of Gunn just telling them at the beginning, hey, guys, I think I'm the reason this came in. I had no idea what this was, yeah. and I thought I was just help. You know, it's like that could have been one thing, but then instead, because he's trying to cover it up and figure it out, they all act like he did it on purpose. Yeah. And are like, how did you? How could you sacrifice Fred yeah. for for this? And it's like, of course he didn't sacrifice Fred for this. He had no idea yeah. that this is what was happening. Yeah. But they act like he did, and then he gets fired because of it. Because he was, you know, trading his friend for this special ability that he has. And it's like none of that is actually true. And it's just so emblematic of how these people don't talk to each other. Well, how they try to keep their secrets and go around <laughs> and like, and and astonishingly stupid results come out of it like now of course everybody has to magically like come back together at the end and like reconcile and like it's just another piece of drama that they these people have to deal with but like if gun had just raised his hand in the last episode and said oh my god i think i brought this in and 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 offered it up as like i think i brought this in so i think i can help track down who like could have shipped this yeah no i i did react similarly to that storyline in fact i definitely paused the episode at one time just at one point to say say like oh yeah that's right these people hate each other and they had no business ever being involved because they're just always looking for excuses to kick members out to betray each other you know what i mean it's like yes gun makes the situation worse but like literally angel and wesley and everybody have done equivalent crimes if not worse so like i get in the heat of the moment, it's hard to keep those things straight, but, like, Gunn did not do this on purpose, and it is ludicrous that they treat him like he did. Is is the Wesley thing all over again, which, like, to, to your point, like, what it may or may not have happened, but, like, yeah, it, it's really frustrating to watch them always just think the worst of one another and always take it out really extremely on one another. Like, when if it was just coming from Wesley, I would at least understand that, but that it's Angel and Harmony and everybody reacting this way to Gunn, it just doesn't make sense. So, and that the show always comes back to this and right. undercuts truly lovely moments. Like in the last episode, you know, right. teasing Wesley about his new relationship with Fred right. and then kind of backing off, realizing like maybe too soon to kind of tease him about that, but that, hey man, it's okay. Like it's all good. Like, yeah, you're you know, right. We had our thing. It's over. And like, and then, so they're totally fine and then in this episode Wesley's stabbing gun because how dare he, you know, sacrifice the love of his life. And it's like, I'm sorry, you just admitted in the last episode that Gunn had real feelings for Fred and, like, had moved on, but, like, that doesn't mean that he's, like, intentionally trying to kill her. Right, right. So <laughs> stabbing him doesn't make any sense. And even the even the implication that had Gunn spoken up earlier, it would have changed anything. I, I really feel like watching the last episode, there is never a moment when him even admitting what had happened. They already knew the name Illyria, I feel like, by the time Gunn realized what had happened. So I don't know what he would have really contributed to. Like they were already, they already knew the solution, which was Angel and um, Spike's trip. Everything else that they were doing was just for, you know, like for their own information, like finding out that Knox was behind it didn't in no way would have helped them save Fred. So I don't know that that even holds water, you know? And it's true that if Gunn had never let, you know, signed the paperwork to get the sarcophagus into the country, that this would have happened, but he had no reason to know that that's what was happening. Yeah, and, yeah. I will say the a line that I did like, I mean, I liked Gunn's reaction to this whole thing on his, from his own perspective. 
Um, like I, I understand why, even though they're telling him this is your fault. And if only you had spoken up sooner, this would have been different. I understand why he believes that because he feels so guilty. So like his reaction pretty much checks out to me. I also really liked when he said, I didn't think it would be one of us. He did know that there would be consequences to what he did. He just didn't think it would cause him personal harm. And I do think that's like, I don't know. This just feels very relevant <laughs> maybe to the general situation in the world right now. But I, I, th- I thought that was a, I thought that was a good line. It's true. Like gun trying to help someone at Wolfram and Hart get something through customs that Wolfram and Hart otherwise doesn't have the power to get through customs mm-hmm. should raise some flags. Yeah. Like Wolfram and Hart can pretty much do whatever they want. He knew it would be bad. Right. But like, what it is and what it's for and then trying to twist that so that, you know, he intentionally caused Fred's death is just infuriating. Yeah. Um, because it's how these people think and it's... It is, even after everything they've been through. It's something that they can never move on <laughs> from and it's just so bizarre to me. Like, yeah. It's true. Um, and it feels really unfair to Gunn. It does, especially because this is meant to be his big, you know, a big storyline for him a big change for him. We've never, not never, not since his introduction though, have we gotten to spend much time on his dramatic feelings. You know, like there was a breakup with Fred, but I feel like that's about it. He really, I I do feel like his story was better told than their reaction to it. um, If that makes any sense, but yeah, it definitely could have been executed better. Also, where the hell was Lauren in this episode? <laughs> and he literally in the beginning have him say, like, I can't help with this. Bye. <laughs> I was like, okay, you guys are like, really lazing out on how much you don't know what to do with Lauren, but I'm sure you could have found something for him. Um, on the flip side, I feel exactly the same way about Harmony as I do about Lauren, which is like, honestly, every time she's in it, I enjoy it more. And I love that she got to just be around. And she also got to do not so much dramatic work, but I, I like that they let her do something a little weightier than just be the comic relief because she was the one that had to deliver the like termination papers to gun. And then she got to, you know, kind of like her anger at him didn't feel so weighted because like, she isn't involved in this whole toxic group dynamic. <laughs> I don't know. I just, yeah. I really like, I mean, she's kind of like saying like, you know, did this turn out the way you thought it would or something, but well, and- it's not, it's not like Fred going to Wesley in the hospital. Yeah. You know, in her and in, in Harmony's defense, she when she goes down there, she says, oh, is what they're saying true? And he tells her, yes. So she really doesn't have any reason not to believe, you know, that he did this on purpose, sort of. But what they're saying isn't true. I know, but I'm saying from her perspective, I still liked her scenes because she doesn't know that. And Gunn tells her it's true, even though it's not. And I, also, yeah. we didn't we didn't mention it in the last episode, but I did like the moment in the white room where Gunn goes and he oh. sees the conduit, but the conduit has kind of taken on the image of himself, which you could argue is Gunn, Gunn's unhappiness with his guilt and you know what he's done, and you know as the conduit says, like I appear like I did. in the eye of the beholder, basically, mm. and like Gunn's quite literally attacked by himself, like this thing that he's created is quite literally attacking him for me that was a big plot hole and i didn't like it but i've not no i mean i liked it in retrospect in this episode where we kind of see like if if maybe gun was struggling internally with the consequences of what had happened it makes no sense that it's the white room or that the conduit is pissed at him like none of that makes sense but you know this this visual image of like gun wrestling with himself Mm -hmm. with like the consequences of what he's done i i don't mind that so much um 
I think I'm just still stuck on the insistence of this episode that it's Gunn's fault, that he somehow yeah. did this intentionally and that, you know, it, it, I mean, this isn't the first time Angel's fired someone, so. Sure, yeah. It's fine, but like the reasoning behind it is just so irrational and I just don't remember how they kind of come back. From yeah, that. I don't either. But uh, we also need to talk about Knox. <laughs> Oh, yes, let's talk I about mean, Knox. I mean, I didn't mention him in the last episode, but all I mean, yes, this episode definitely fleshed out the gun and Knox aspect of the storyline, but both of that was revealed in A Hole in the World. At least, that, you know, that, that Knox was the one who, who brought the sarcophagus and has been planning this and who chose Fred. Um, I mean, I obviously... Oh, sorry. Um, I hate Knox, <laughs> but... It, it, I can't decide if he's like a satisfying villain or not because he has that serial killer justification for like why what he did was okay is because he loved her so much, you know? Yeah, I I think I was reading something maybe earlier this year or at some point, I don't remember, where they describe this story arc as, you know, Fred has an ex-boyfriend that takes revenge on her and turns her, you know, sends her the sarcophagus because he's like, Mad. She spurned his advances uh-huh. or something. Let's just be clear, that is not what happens here. Like, you know, Knox is a little bummed that she's with Wesley now and, like, you know, kind of says, like, oh, yeah, I I made advances, but, like, I'm, you know, he says he's happy to just, like, work with her, but, like, then says that he chose her for this because he was in love with her, because he admired her so much, because she was the perfect woman. But that's hardly, like you know, she rejected me and I'm going to turn her into a demon. Like, he he truly seems to believe that he's done her a favor. Yeah. That he's, like, provided her with, like, the best gift that she's worthy of in some way. And, and, and he, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to why someone like that could thrive at Wolfram and Hart, mm-hmm. could work there. I mean, we do have to question the people who work there knowingly. You know, like, Knox has always been saying, like, hey, it's just, you know, it's not that bad. It's just, like, you know. Right, <laughs> yeah we just kind of go about our job and like, you know, don't really think too much about who's been funding you, but we've seen throughout the season that he, he doesn't quite have the same moral boundaries as everyone else. And, and here we really see that he doesn't, whereas he has absolutely no problem with what he's done. And in fact, thinks he's like fulfilled some destiny that he's had in mind since he was 11 or Mm -hmm. something. That said, I mean, I was so happy Wesley shot him, Mm -hmm. but None of this really, like, it all kind of falls a little flat. Like, it, it it still feels a little, like, unsurprising, right? That, like, oh, Fred's jilted, you know, potential lover is behind it. And he's got some worshipful, like, cult for this demon thing that he, like, wants to be a part of. And he's, like, even gone through, like, ancient rites to, like, make himself her her wingman. Right. And, like... All of that, I don't, I don't know if that works no. successfully. And you know what? The part that where it definitely broke down for me is that the other thing that happens in this episode is basically the revelation that Illyria has nothing left in this world. Like she can't, she thinks that she's been waiting, you know, thousands of years to come back and unleash her power on the world. And when they go find her temple and to find her army, it's completely decimated or not even decimated. It's like crumbled. It doesn't exist anymore. Which is a fine, is fine for me in the story as it 
in regards to Illyria, but in regards to Nox, I was like, okay, you're part of this cult. You've been spending your entire life dedicated to this. And it didn't occur to you that her temple doesn't exist anymore and that she won't have anything when you bring her back. Like that part was also sort of like what he's clearly dedicated and has, has is smart and has spent a lot of time looking into this. It just seems weird that that would have not occurred to him. I guess he didn't have access to the temple, but it still somehow feels like it doesn't connect for me. No, I mean, and all of that is in service of, like, now we're supposed to somehow feel bad for the demon. Like, I I had a kind of a thought of, like, this is all too soon. Like, we've literally just lost Fred. Right. Everyone is still grieving Fred. We're still grieving Fred. And at the end of the episode, we're supposed to be feeling sorry for the demon that has inhabited her body right. because it has nowhere to go and no purpose. Yeah. Sorry, I don't care. Yeah. Like, if, if if that's what you all brought this back for and that this demon has, like, it's all for nothing, like, that is truly the tragic part of this. Um, but I don't care about the demon. Not yet. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I am glad that they, and not that I wouldn't have assumed this on my own anyway, but I I did like the part where, uh, not Gun, um, Wesley acknowledges that he's only interested in helping her because she looks like Fred. And it's, like, clear that he just doesn't know how to let go of that. I don't know. I felt like that, yeah. that, that, that checked out to me. Wesley grasping whatever's left of Fred, even though he knows that is nothing of her except her body. But yeah, that he's kind of going to like buy into the, the fantasy, I think. Yeah. Of still of having some connection part. left. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I mean, but were you gutted by that last scene of Fred? Because I was. <laughs> no, I... I wasn't gutted. I I was just like I was honestly a little bit annoyed. Ugh, I was so sad. <laughs> oh oh, you mean the the one where she's yes, driving sorry, away? Sorry, the flashback. Oh, I thought you meant where like Illyria tries to pretend. No to no, do no, no, no 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 no. Voice and I was sorry. Like, no. I'm sorry. I should have been clear. Um, yeah no, that one's really sad. Where she's driving away and she's really excited yeah, and like we know what she's coming. Yeah, and you know everything that's gonna happen between now and then, and it was very sad. I overall both of these episodes made me very sad. <laughs> I'm sorry that Fred is done. I do think she got a better send off. You know, clearly there was some mourning in her direction, you know, kind of written into the episodes, but I'm sad. I don't think she needed, she didn't need to die. No, I don't really have anything else about this one. What was Angel? What no, was Angel I, like even said, doing? This, this one didn't <laughs> land as strongly for me. Um, and it felt like just like overflow from the last episode. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, I don't really remember where we go from here, to be honest. I know where the show ends, and that's as much as I know. Granted, we're pretty close to that. Uh, but, yeah. I, I want to... I kind of mentioned it. Um, but, you know, Giles is basically not really lifting much of a finger to help right, them. Right, um, Do you think that Willow could have reversed this, or would that just be a cheat? Like another moment where they just use Willow as like insert all powerful magic here. I like, don't think she could have because I do obvious, obvious questions to what souls are in this entire universe aside. I feel like they were pretty clear that the reason they can't revive her is because her soul doesn't exist anymore. So there's nothing her so friend. It's, not, worth it's not like any time that like Buffy's soul was in heaven, Angel's soul was in hell. Everybody else that they've revived has had that piece still somewhere. And I think the fact that the doctor, you know, explains out loud um, to Gunn and that Wesley overhears that that doesn't exist anymore because of the way that Illyria came into the world, I think makes it clear that even if Willow had been there, the same pieces weren't there for her to bring her back. 
So I don't know why. Again, why didn't they make that the explanation rather than this weird like Giles won't let her come to you? Kind of was like I don't I don't know why they had to bring Giles into it, but whatever. Yeah. Also, weird question or something that occurred to me. So Fred, before she everything goes bad, she comes and tells them that she had been checked out by the doctor and was like totally fine. Yeah. Are we supposed to assume that that's the doctor that checked her? I out? think so. So he just he probably lied, lied to her. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he was clearly in cahoots about the customs. Yeah. Box, so makes sense to me that yeah. he was involved. I would I would wonder if like I don't remember if he like had Fred's job before um before she did. If like that was like a professional grudge or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was the werewolf <laughs> guy. I don't remember. Yeah. You know, not to open up a can of worms, I was confused in the last episode how much they kept mentioning Lindsay <laughs> and how he was like maybe still around. Cause like I thought he was pretty definitively killed. <laughs> I mean, obviously we didn't see him die. And in any show that means maybe that person's not dead. But like, I really feel like all of a sudden they were just like, and we have no idea where Lindsay is. And it's like, I didn't feel like that was the implication. Gunn was like, he didn't even have time to pack. And I'm like, right. Because he got sucked up through the ceiling. (laughs) He's dead, but I don't know. That felt like they were trying to play fast and loose with what they originally planned. I don't know. I I was like, do we did we all forget that like the senior partners definitely like have Lindsay? Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway. All right. Well, yeah, I don't remember where we're going from here. I just remember a lot more Laria, mm-hmm. Illyria, who, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and no more no Fred. No more Fred. But I will say I want to reiterate Amy Acker was great. I think she was even great in this episode. I mean, she, no, I she clearly, you know, delineated between Fred and Illyria, you know, and that scene where that I didn't like where she slips back into Fred. I mean, it shows that she she was actually really good as Illyria. Mhm. You know, and and she's creating two characters. So, yeah. good for her. Yeah. I agree. Hmm. Well, next week, Underneath and Origin. All right. Don't know what either of those are. Nor names. do I. <laughs> I had like a brief spell of like, oh, I know what that episode is. I know what that episode is because we had the one, two of smile time and a hole in the mm-hmm. world. And now I'm back to just obliviousness. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, I think, in the final stretch. And all I can say is thank mm-hmm. God. <laughs> and do you have any pop culture recommendations this week? Mm, I don't really. What about you? <sighs> I had I had something, but I don't remember. Um, but... I did, while I was cleaning my windows yesterday, play Despicable Me in the background, and I forgot that I really liked that movie, so maybe that one. Oh, that's what it was. Al- Alex and I have been, this isn't really a recommendation, because people know that these exist, <laughs> uh, but we've been sort of watching the best hits, what I consider the best hits, what we consider the best hits of Pixar, Disney Pixar. That's been pretty mm. fulfilling this week. We did um, Monsters, Inc., we did Ratatouille, we did, I forget what the first one we did was, um, I think we're going to do Wally next. Disney Plus has some serious issues, so Wally didn't work out the day we tried to watch it, so we ended up switching to Ratatouille because I still own that DVD, but hopefully we can get through a few more. Oh, we did Toy Story 3, you, which I had never seen. Very good. Um, did you want to recommend Passport to Paris? Oh, actually, that one was really good. Yes, I also watched Passport to Paris and Switching Goals, which were two uh, that I had ne- not seen before of the Mary-Kate and Ashley empire. Passport to Paris, I thought, was pretty well done. Switching goals was awful. 
I'm not sure I've ever seen Switching it, Goals. I remember Passport to Paris being like as okay as they could yeah, be. Yeah, it was. It was as okay as any of their movies ever got. I like. I, I yeah. enjoyed it. I didn't. I didn't regret watching that one. Switching Switching Goals must have been made for TV because it had a lot of act, act breaks in it. But the whole premise basically is that one of them is sporty and one of them is not fine. That was like the premise of. 80% of their movies, but the dad is the soccer, is the soccer coach and he coaches a, a boys soccer team. And then one year they decide that the teams have to be co-ed and he is aghast at the idea of girls playing soccer for like two full scenes. And I was like, you have daughters. You're saying this like in front of them. Like he was a true monster. And I just like, couldn't get past it. It was, a, it was bad. There is, I remember reading this maybe even this year, so, yeah, no, I was, because I think it was when a lot of these became available uh, yeah. online to watch. Um, someone at Vulture did a ranked list of all the yeah, Medicaid national movies. Right. Uh, that might be worth checking out. I don't remember what they said about switching goals, though. Yeah, I But I think there was out. a clear premise of, like, most of their movies that, like, one of them is sporty and one of them is girly. Yeah, pretty much. Usually Mary-Kate was the sporty one, but sometimes they I think switching goals they Ashley. switched it, and it was Ashley as the sporty one, but... yeah. I was, yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, but it's every Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen uh, movie ranked by surreality. So, <laughs> not, so not a totally straightforward list. Is New York Minute number New one? New York is number two. Shoot, I can't read the whole thing. because still it's, good. We still need to work on that rewrite. We do. <laughs> uh, but yes. Also on Vulture, they had a lovely oral history of Center Stage mm-hmm. um, this week. So now we've covered both movies that we watched in January. I know, I know. It was like an odd (laughs) week. There was also an oral history of Mad Max in New York Times, so I'm just reliving all my favorite movies this week. Fury Road, sorry. I was thinking about that Um, the other day. I was like, oh yeah, when we watched it, and I was like, in January, was I in New York this year? I know. Like, did I, did I travel? I was like, yeah. years ago. Well, I'm glad we got to do that at least. That was really fun. That's true. Yeah. I will say the, the, the trips that I took this year is like, I did go out on a high note. It's just, I didn't think they were going to be the last ones for a while. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what team are you on this uh, week? Team Fred. Yeah. I mean, Sometimes it's Wesley so close second, yeah. maybe, but it's got to be Fred. Yeah. Um, because again, we can't do it anymore. Yes. <laughs> and because Amy Acker was so good in these episodes. She really Even was. if it wasn't team all. Team Amy Acker, yeah, I guess. That's true. Yeah. Fred is, like, barely in the episode. It's true. Because she's mostly just, like, laying in bed. <laughs> but she broke my heart, and she deserves all the accolades. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll be back with those two episodes you told us about before. Mm-hmm. Underneath I've and Origin. I've already forgotten what they're called. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'll talk to you all right, then. All right. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. 